0: Hello and welcome back and we're on episode two of this um retail marketing series that I have with the amazing Richard everman who is fantastic in this space today we're going to talk about retail marketing and it is retail marketing is always in fashion so I'm really excited to touch on this because it brings me back to my shop floor days it brings me back to those touch points in the store that we all talk about we walk in we get wowed um Richard, kind of talk me through, I suppose, retail marketing um, from your perspective.
1: I I love retail marketing and it's one of my favourite topics. I've worked in retail marketing for many, many years, both for retailers, into retailers and working for a retail design agency. So it's kind of a topic I really, really love. And I think it's We talked about it last week about why we need to kind of market to get people in. And and I think it's really interesting because retailers need customers. They need new customers. They need to talk to their existing customers, their lapsed customers. And they kind of need to do all of this kind of stuff. So it kind of builds on what we were talking about in in our previous session. And it's always interesting to look up a definition. So I went on to Wikipedia where obviously everything's always true. And Wikipedia defines it as, the retail marketing mix typically consists of six broad decision layers, including product decisions, place decisions, promotion, price, personnel, presentation, also known as physical evidence. The retail mix is loosely based on the marketing mix, but has been expanded and modified in line with the unique needs of the retail context. Well, thank you, Wikipedia. That's a pretty decent way of, of kind of explaining it. But for me, if you go, a lot of marketing people have been taught the four Ps, um, Kotler's four Ps, uh, product, price, place, promotion. Um, this talks about six, and I kind of would add a seventh in, and that's what I thought we'd talk about today. Product, price, place, promotional, promotional uh, personal, personal, Um, because I think the personnel that work in stores are really, really important. Uh, Presentation, which is one of my favourite topics when it comes to retail marketing, but also the idea of another one, which is passion, which uh, a good friend of mine, Tim Youngs, who's a former marketing director at Jack Daniels Global Travel Retail, um, was really, really keen to kind of promote as a concept. So we want to expand on on these, And think about them, not just from a theoretical perspective, but also how retailers can take advantage of, of understanding what these are and then making sure their offers and their whole kind of mix works well for their customers.
0: Great. So look, I suppose the seven P's, and that's an interesting concept you took on product, price, place, promotion, personnel, passion, presentation. I suppose delving into the product then and um, the first P in that piece um talk through a little bit around the product so um the product I suppose as a customer or maybe um we're coming into gifting season so maybe you're 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 buying it as a gift um you know and, and how that kind of transcends as a retailer how do we kind of I suppose um how do we suppose sort of leverage those um buyers that we have coming in
1: well <laughs> It's interesting because you can actually say that product is the store and the offering as a whole, um, and that's sort of part of what you need to do. But I'm going to put a little bit of a twist on it, which is saying, right, the products that you sell in the store, because actually the product that we're going to talk about as in your store and your business, that, that's everything that we're, we're talking about. But what are the actual products in store? And I always think there's an interesting question when you, when you talk to independents and the difference between independence and chains. So chains will always buy for their customers. And I think there's a really interesting question for independence. Who are you buying product for? So in your store, what are the products for? Are they for, for your customers? Or are they things that you like? And it's really interesting. because I was working with a, a retailer in Worcestershire. And it was really, really interesting that when she was buying for herself, that was the products that her customers liked the most. And when she tried too hard to think about what the customers wanted, she got it wrong. And and it was really really interesting because it's kind of counterintuitive. But I think there is something about the products that you've got in your store. Who are you buying for? Is it you? Is it stuff that you like, or is it stuff that your customers like? And I think it's okay to have a mixture of the two, as long as you're getting the sellout of those products and. A really simple range way of thinking is good, better, best. So when you've got your products in there, and 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 let's go with food. Food's always a good way of doing this. So if you've got a, 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 a pasta, and you've kind of got like a real value kind of pasta, then you've kind of got your mid standard pasta. Then you've got kind of the gourmet pasta. That's great. So you've got three things there. Customers get it. But do you need to have five or six? different kind of pricing levels in there or are you causing confusion for your customers so i think the products that you've got in your store i think when you think about it from a marketing perspective so obviously normally when we're buying we're going to write we want to buy at this price and sell at a higher price and that's how business works but when you think about it from a marketing perspective who are our customers are we confusing them with the products that we're getting in there you know have we got too much stock Have we got too much range? Are we causing confusion? Is our offer easy for customers to understand? And putting some of that kind of marketing twist on your buying decisions, I think, would be very helpful. So, yeah, they're the thoughts on product.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. And I read an article recently I read an article there, I think it was maybe two, three days ago, and it was published by Drapers in the UK. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a a magazine that talks about different retailers, but it talked about what Marks and Spencers have done. They've reduced on their women's wear lines. They've reduced it from 256 lines down to, I think it was 180, 186. And what they've seen on a growth from a sales piece, they didn't actually lose money on it they actually, their, their sales grew. So that whole less is more concept is actually what you're touching on there a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that sometimes we can give customers too many options that actually leaves them more confused than maybe having a more of a streamlined process um, with, with giving them that option. So that's what you're kind of talking about there, that good, better, best.
1: Yes. I think it, it, it depends on the store. Yeah. You know, obviously if you're going to be selling shoes, you're going to need to have multiple varieties of, sizes and colors and all the rest of it but but my view is that when you're buying for your stores also don't just think about the margin think about your customer think about their journey around your store and how can you make it easy for people to buy and and that's what I mean about the assortment because if you're bombarded with multiple choices people get confused you know, they, they need help and guidance and you can help and guide them through your merchandising and your range. Um, so I just wanted to put like a little bit of a marketing twist on on buying, which kind of nicely leads into kind of pricing. And, and I think it's really interesting. I think as a retailer, you're the expert. You know what your customers are willing to pay price wise. and And, you know, it's that balance between what you're buying the product, what you're selling it, and all your costs and all of that. So I think there's a little bit, which is where I always think, you are the expert, you know your market, you know what people are willing to pay. I think what's really interesting is when we start talking about discounting and sales, whether that is a January sale, whether it's a um, spring sale, whether it's a Black Friday sale, which I've kind of got mixed views on myself. But what I think is really important when you're thinking about sales and price reductions is I think there needs to be a bit of planning. You know, if you've got a product that you're going to have in stock, if it's a fashion product, it might be three to six months. What's your pricing strategy with it? You're going to start at the discount, go up. You know, what is your strategy around pricing? And I think for me. If you've got a plan on when you're going to do these things, it makes it easier to execute than when you're doing it on the fly. And I think pricing is something that obviously cost of living crisis that's hitting many people globally. You know, price is becoming very, very important. But if you're constantly on sale, you devaluing your total proposition. Is it when a consumer thinks to themselves, well, if they're always on sale, what's the actual real price? And I, and I think pricing is so important psychologically. And I think for consumers, but I think there's a little bit where you need to plan. And if you plan, you can execute. And all of a sudden it becomes a bit easier, especially because it is such a sensitive area.
0: Yeah, and I love that, Richard, because it is a psychological thing when we look at reductions and reducing and I worked in Next for a long period of time, and you knew when those, uh, you know, those big sales were coming in, and um, the five AM starts. You know, customers knew when to expect it. They, you knew when the sales were going to slow down because they knew that it was going to be reduced to half price, and 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 you know, we're all customers, I suppose. We know when the sales are happening. I I I actually, and and I've kind of talked about this before, but I I love some brands never go on sale. OK, so some brands never discounts. What's your take on that? Do you think that is a strategy in itself, the ones that don't do any sale yeah. at all? Um, it's more no, of a long term strategy. Yeah.
1: No, 100 percent, because I think yeah, in our minds, we've got a view as to what something's worth. Yeah. And I think that if you start discounting, you can potentially devalue yeah. that brand in the consumer's mind. And and I think there is some, there are certain brands where absolutely having that kind of price position, if you think about certain watches and jewelry brands come to mind straight away, you know, it's very, very rare that certain perfumes will be discounted. Some will be, but some won't be. And, and, and I think there is something because you build up in your mind, you build up certain brands that have a certain value. And I think it's really interesting because it's kind of that total marketing mix that positions it in the consumer's mind that it's worth this and that. So not everybody has to discount, but I do think there is something about knowing your your price and knowing the kind of where your customers are, especially from a retailer's perspective. You know, if you're dealing with a, um, a well-off demographic, then price is less important there's other factors that are more important, such as presentation, customer service. Where actually, if you're a discount retailer, then price is really, really important to that consumer. How can you make it really obvious that you are price conscious, price focused? And do you have to make the other investments um, in presentation, for example, that others might not need, if you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, 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 it's really interesting. And um, it kind of moves us on to, I suppose, the next part, which is we've talked about product, we've talked about price. Placement then, so obviously um, omnichannel, um, and I suppose that role that that plays in the assortments in the price, in the product, um, and they all intermix.
1: Yeah. They, they, yeah, they all they all cross over and mix. Yeah. And this is what I kind of this is what I love about retail marketing because yeah. by themselves, yeah. all of these ideas are great by themselves. But reality is they all sort of interlink and have an effect on each other. It's almost like uh, you're cooking and you're mixing in all the ingredients and you can't have one without another. And and place is really interesting. So the idea in marketing is where you sell your your goods. And obviously you can, from a retail store, fantastic. You can have more than one retail store. And actually the way people shop is changing. Um, There was a statistic um, a couple of years ago that the busiest shopping day now in the UK is on Christmas Day. Well, that's strange. All the shops closed. And, and and all of a sudden, people, oh, yeah, we've all got iPads. And we're tired of our families by four o'clock, so we're looking at what's on offer. Or we've been given a gift card. Oh, where can I spend this? And, and I think what's really interesting for me when it comes to place is the whole idea of omnichannel. And I think there's some really exciting opportunities for retailers to – you know, not just think about, okay, website and, um, store or store by itself, but you can also sell through social media. You know, there's, there's a, a retailer, um, called Colleen and Claire in the UK. They have an Instagram where, where they're always kind of putting on their, their, their clothes or models and you can buy it straight off Instagram or you can go into the store or you can buy it from the website. And I think there's lots of different ways that we can sell now. You can sell on Facebook. There's lots and lots of different channels. And again, there are challenges to going online. I completely understand that. And I think we spoke about it last time about returns. But I do think there's an opportunity for stores to think about, okay, how can we be omnichannel? You know, not every store can be open 24 hours a day. But it's dead easy to put a QR code on a window display so somebody can go onto the website and buy. So I think Omnichannel is going to become more and more prevalent. And I think it's a really fantastic opportunity for retailers to think, actually, we've got a store that is open between a set set of hours. But how else and where else can we sell? Are we going to go to exhibitions? Are we going to do pop ups? How can we take our product to people? And I think there's different ways of selling. And classically, you know, there's people that do mail order catalogues. People still buy mail order. You know, there's different ways of selling. And for me, Omnichannel is a really great way of thinking about it. And just a final example on that, there's a nursery in the UK called Hardy's Cottage Garden Plants. And they put a big flower display on uh, things like the Chelsea Flower Show and the Hampton Court Flower Show. And you can buy from them by going to a show and buying from 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 the team there where they'll be selling plants. You can go into the nursery and buy. You can buy through mail order. You can buy through the website. Reality is the product that they're selling is exactly the same. It's just different routes to market. So I, I think it is possible for independents to do. We just need to think about how we do it in a way that is kind of, effective, cost efficient for us, but also most importantly, works for our customers. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think going back to, I suppose, the core to what you've said, and you've brought up in each one of them, um, that stood out with me is knowing where your customer is and knowing who your customer is. Because when we go out onto that, I suppose, looking we're looking to have a touch point with our customer when they do leave the store that we're still talking to them, we're still, you know, communicating to them, you know, with them in some sense or touching alongside their journey outside the store, um, is I suppose finding out are they on TikTok, are they on Instagram, are they on Facebook, where where are they where are they most around, I suppose. And really interestingly, there the time in the Chinese market. Um they predict this year 450 billion will be sold um through um through video shopping. So through the likes of TikTok stream shopping is yeah. what they're actually calling it. So that kind of live streaming and shopping is again a great option for retailers to demo their products and um, to do VIP events. Um, and again, to have it even in a hybrid model or even in a remote model, and um, the people can tune in from anywhere globally, and we can extend that offering then uh, to customers outside, even you know, our, our locality or locality or country where we're actually based.
1: And there's a, a really nice example um, where where they brought it together, and, and that's Nordstrom in the US department store, kind of mid to upscale. And what they've done with their clothing offer is they've got people in store to talk about the product and it's great oh look here's a pair of jeans that are the boot cut and it's got a really nice denim that's got a bit of stretch to it and they put the videos up on the website and they said well this would go really nicely with a, I don't know, a white t-shirt black jacket and pink trainers you know an ideal combination for anybody um, and and what's really nice is it's kind of bringing the store into the website and, and I think what's it's it's kind of, it's nicely done. It still needs refining and the process can always be better, but it is possible to talk to customers outside of just the stores. And, and I think it's really interesting because as a society, we're moving to more and more 24 hours. We spend so much time on our phones and on computers. How can we talk to people, not just for the five minutes that they're in the store, but then um, the rest of their journey. And I think there is something about inspiring people with products, inspiring people with kind of look and feel that, you know, retail has been doing for many years. Omnichannel is just different ways of reaching the consumer, which kind of nicely moves us into promotion because this is kind of what you were talking about. Um, you know, the, what are the marketing activities that can get people into store? And I know we, we spoke about that a lot last week and. We talked about having a plan and telling stories and sharing them. And I do think there is something about how do we communicate to people that actually, if they come out, if they come into our stores and hang out with us, they're going to get a great product at a price that works for them in an environment that, give, you know, leads them to think that they're in a good position. And I think, for me, the whole idea of promotion, I'm not talking about buy one, get one free. I'm talking about how do you market your store and your retail to to your, to your target customers. And I think so often in the past, retailers that have, you know, some of the ones that have disappeared in the UK, such as Woolworths, they just opened their stores, put product in and thought that was enough. Well, people come in because we've got great product. The world's evolved. I think you have to tell people, you have to show them, you have to inspire them. You have to come up with a marketing plan that says, actually, if you come and visit us, these are our stories. Come and visit us and we'll show you some brilliant stuff that's going to make your life more interesting or better or more fulfilled. And I think just having a store with products in is not enough. Maybe in some touristy areas, but still you need to get people in. And I think having a marketing plan with lots of activities encourages kind of people to encourages you as a business to tell people why they should come and hang out with you in the simple terms and I think you cannot rely just on great products and great service you have to tell people you have to give them reasons to come and visit you and for me promotion is about building a calendar of marketing activities you're going to do to share your stories
0: do you think there's enough being done in that space at the moment with retailers? Do you think there's a gap there? Do you think there's a lot being done, or do you think that there is a huge room for opportunity and growth with retailers within that promotion piece? I suppose in 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 doing that. Truthfully, yeah,
1: I think I think some of the chains do it okay, but I think independents needs to work a lot harder. Mm-hmm. I, and 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 I know that there's huge time constraints and budget constraints. But if you don't have customers, you don't have a business. And for me, how many times have you been into a store where you've gone, oh, this is brilliant. Why aren't there more people in here?
0: Mm.
1: Products are great. Service is great. You like the ethos. You might even like the ethics of what they do. Why aren't there more customers in here? And I, and I think for independence, creating a marketing plan, yes, it takes a bit of time. But social media, for instance, allows you to communicate for free. You can really push yourself. And and I think there are some independents doing a really good job. and, and, And they are working very hard at putting their imagery out there, their kind of stories out there. But I think too many retailers almost expect people to come because they've got a nice store. I've got a nice store, I've got nice products. Encourage people to come and visit you. Give them a reason to hang out with you. And it doesn't always have to be about price. It could be, actually, I've got this exclusive that nobody else has got. Actually, I've got this really amazing jacket and we're the only people in this area to have it. Share. Tell your stories. Give people a reason to hang out with you. Because if you don't, well, you're going to survive on footfall, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work. And I think, for me, you can almost improve your odds of succeeding By doing that marketing calendar, by doing that marketing promotion, by going back to what we were talking about last week about content buckets and ideas and sharing those with people, just expecting people to come. I think too many retailers have done that. And that's why we've lost some superb independence. You have to put yourself out there. And it might be a little bit uncomfortable. But you need to do it. You really, really need to do it. So I would massively encourage all the independents and all the retailers to think, how can I drive customers to my store? It doesn't just have to be social media. It can be leaflets, it can be all the marketing kind of promotional ideas that we hear off radio, newspapers, TV, whatever it is. You know, you can add PR to that mix. You know, oh, we've got somebody that's been working here for 25 years. That's a great story. Local media are always looking for stories. And I think there's so many opportunities to tell our stories and give people reasons to come and visit. And we miss that opportunity. And I think that if you don't do it, you're, you're missing out. You're really missing out. And it's a really quick fix.
0: Mm. I think it's really interesting because I think most Christmases, they're they're waiting for that Christmas advert. You know, the John Lewis advert, all of that. Beautiful beautiful advert amazing and you know there's such a hype around that but you know I I go down my local high street I suppose and I see those moments encapsulated in those independents those smaller retailers on a daily basis really because they're nearly at a a talking point with their with their locals, with those regulars that come in, they might come in on a Monday, they'll come in again on the Saturday because they might be getting the freshly baked bread off the market or whatever that might be. And um, so what you're really talking about there is shouting more about that and talking more about that. And I suppose using things like that um as your marketing, as your promotion piece in your business, it doesn't have to be a sale promotion. Um, it can be something, like you said there, can be a story you're telling.
1: Yeah, and, and loyalty comes in many different ways. And there's certain stores that I'm really, really loyal to because I love them. Mm. I just absolutely love their ethos. I love what they do. And I love storytelling. And I think what's so interesting is Every store's got stories to tell. Every store's got stories to tell, whether it's about the people, whether it's about the product, whether it's about the customers, whether it's about why you set it up. You know, I set this up because it's always been my dream to do this and I absolutely love fashion, or it's always been my ambition to make fresh bread and tell the world about it, and everybody's got to try my bread. And I think there's all these wonderful stories that if you're a big retailer... They're a lot harder to find. And I think for independence, you've got this great opportunity to tell really fantastic stories because they're real. They're not made up. They're not retrofitted. They're your values. They're your beliefs. They're why you set up your business. And I think that if you, people do care, consumers do care about where stuff comes from. Consumers are becoming more ethical And I think for this kind of supporting small businesses, I think it's a really fantastic kind of thing that I see building. But I also believe that small businesses need to help themselves. Small retailers need to help themselves. And you can help yourself by telling people about what it is you do, by talking to your communities and engaging. So if somebody buys a product from you and tags you on social media, give them some love. You know, that's another way to build loyalty. And I think, the way the world's going, you need to do this stuff, and you need a concerted effort on it because the rewards are pretty good when you get it right.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I done a, I wrote a recent article, and there was new research out. Um, Price Water Cooper done it. They looked at four thousand consumers and um, looked at their spending habits and. Not surprisingly, about 85% of those respondents were willing to pay more money uh, if they trusted that retailer that they were buying off. So that, that piece that you talked about there and you talked about brand loyalty and trust, I think it's so important. And when we're talking about, I suppose, promotions and whatever else, I really think if you have a really good exchange policy, if you have a really good after sales policy in your store, That is a really unique selling point that I think a lot of retailers don't really think about. Um, We we market the product, we sell the product, and then we feel, okay, we're next on to the big thing. I think there's a huge gap there um, where we don't realize that we'll actually win more business if that customer does come back. And if we maybe, you know, for example, for Christmas, if we had or exchange process may be extended maybe we give gift receipts and um, you know earlier because people are more conscientious now of their spending because of inflation so maybe we'll give out gift receipts instead of doing it in December or November we start giving out in September and start talking about it to customers you know we have the gift receipts now you can buy it now and they can get an exchange after the Christmas so things like that I think are huge um factors that I don't think people talk about a lot but when you're on the shop floor Richard they're a huge huge selling piece I think
1: well I think to summarize that how do you make it easy for people to buy yeah you know we talked about omnichannel, um and 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 I think that when you make make it easy for people to buy i.e. you also make it easy for them to be your customer they're a great that and you can see again how all the messages fit across So this goes down to product price um, and place, but then all of a sudden you can talk about it as part of your promotion. We do gift receipts 365. You can, you know, we have the easiest returns policy. We have the easiest genuine returns policy. Whatever it is, how do you make it easy to find? And share those stories. We're an independent, we've got independent spirit. We know as shoppers that it's a pain in the ass to go to the post office at lunchtime to return something however come into our store we can do it in five minutes whatever that whatever those messages are but you can see how it all interlinks but for me it's about making it easy to be your customer making it easy to buy from you and then this kind of nicely beats on to the people in store your you know the front end personnel because they're the people on the shop floor that, that really represent your brand. They are the people that allow customers to return things easily or make it difficult for them. And I know we're going to talk about that in our, in our trilogy next week. Um, but I do think it's always interesting if you ever watch um, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, The sweary Chef, and he'll go into a restaurant and he'll redo the menu because obviously the restaurant's got it calamitously wrong. What he does is he cooks everything, puts it on the table, makes all the staff try it. Try it so you understand what you're going to be selling to customers and all the staff, they light up. So my question to you independent retailers is, how well do your teams know your products? And it's a, it, it's one that we'll sort of kind of investigate next week. How well do you know your products? How well do your team know your products? If you're working in a fashion store, are they wearing your products? You know, are they, do they understand that this cheese has this kind of flavour? Have they ever tried it? So I always think back to Gordon Ramsay in one of his more sensible, less sweary moments, make sure your people in store know exactly what they're talking about. But And then we'll go on to that a little bit more next week. But I do think there's something really interesting that Your staff in store are the face of your brand. They represent you. And they're a really, really important part of the marketing mix. And for me, retail marketing, is so much of it is about experience. And we all know about, we can all talk about the good experiences we've had in stores, but it is also just as easy to name the bad ones we've had as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting. And I think, If we're to look at one industry that does that really well, from what I can see, is the cosmetics industry. They do it so well. They wear the products um, and they're able to talk about the texture, the feel, the consistency of the cream on your skin. And I think for a lot of other retailers, be it DIY, be it clothing, be it whatever, I think they can really... As a, as an example, look at the way cosmetics actually talked to their customers because they're it's a really great benchmark. That. Yeah, it's a great benchmark. It's that very much that experiential and um, talking piece in their conversation. They're talking about the experience of the product and um, which I think is is really important. And again, that passion, that understanding and matching the customer's needs. You know, uh, yeah. we can't establish what your needs are if we don't know what that product can actually do for you. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. And and it, it, 100%. And it's interesting you just said the word passion because that's sort of the next P on my list. And this came from a conversation I had uh, with Tim Youngs who wrote a brilliant um, blog about this, and how do you bring your brand and your story to life? Where's the energy? Where's your commitment to you and every customer? And for me, I was doing a a Zoom call with with um, an artist that's got a gallery and gift shop in in, in Worcestershire, and um, we thought we'd do it on a quiet, quiet kind of Tuesday morning. And she had a customer show up. Excuse me, Richard. I'll be back in a second. And she kind of wandered off from behind the till and started talking to the customer. Oh my gosh, it was the most fantastic experience. You've got, oh, I've got this thing here and I've created this and it would look fantastic in your house because of this. And you could hear it in her voice. I couldn't see her face, but I could hear it in her voice. And it was dynamite because her passion, it was just infectious. And I can't wait to go and visit her. I really can't wait to go and visit her. And her her store is super cool and full of quirky and interesting things. But she is almost the most interesting and exciting part of the store because her passion, honestly, it is infectious. And I think that if you've got your own business and you've got your own store, there's nothing worse as a consumer than walking somebody behind a checkout line, like arms folded kind of that look of why am I here? I think passion is the reason that people buy from you. Passion is the reason that people go, you need to go and see Kate Reese, the artist in Melbourne. Her shop's amazing. There you are, Kate. I've given you a shout out. Your story's brilliant. That kind of passion is infectious. It's part of your brand, but also you can see how it mixes with all the other elements as well. I chose this product because I think it's really interesting. Or I chose this style because not only is it this season's look, but it's a timeless classic. Or I chose this wine because oh, I went wine tasting in France and actually this wine here was the one that stood out because it had dead, 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 dead. And I think that passion is something that, do you know what? Amazon can never do it. They can't. And I think there is something where passion is a reason for people to connect with you and to fall in love with your store and your retail proposition. So I think that a passionate store owner and somebody that really cares and it comes across, I think deserves to be on our our list.
0: Yeah, definitely. And do you know what comes to mind, um, Richard? And I'm doing a, I'm doing a retail program with um, health stores and I kind of, I went on a bit of a I I suppose, uh, a research phase where I was looking and I visited a couple of these health stores and, oh, my God, the the level of service you get from going into one of these health stores is, you know, you're greeted, you're asked in the vitamin aisle, you know, what vitamins are, how are you feeling? And it, it comes back to what you said there. I think when you've people in that particular store, they've a passion for the industry, the products It comes across so natural natural and so flowing. That conversation flows so easily. And If I was to pick someone up that's really passionate about that and put them in an electrical store where they've no interest in in, in selling, you know, or talking about TVs or the new plasma screen because they really enjoy talking about organic foods. They have, you know, they make organic foods. They're really into you know homeopathy or whatever that might be i i do think it's really important as retailers and we are seeing a huge turnover of staff and there is i think there's about 500 jobs on the jobs websites here in ireland there's so many jobs at the moment in that space but it's finding people that are actually interested not only in the job but in what it is you're actually doing in that business so if it's the case you're selling arts you know, we're, we're selling, we're selling, not art, but we're selling a feeling that you're going to get when you come into that home and experience that art in the wall.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I think that's really important to understand um, from a recruitment piece, but from people to, to hiring the right people, um, Richard, that are passionate about it um, and see that uh, passion within.
1: I would add on to that because I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I also think it comes from the top down whether it's the owner of the store, whether it's the manager. And I think you set the culture and and a really it was really interesting. I, I went into a, a shopping mall in the US and I went to find some kind of really quirky t-shirts, kind of and, and we went into this T-shirt store um, and we were looking for we were looking for one, but we went into this other one. And I'm always one of those people that walks into a retail store thinking, okay, where's this going? I'm kind of curious about the experience. And I asked this this shop assistant, so I'm looking for some strange things, T-shirts over there. And I was like, oh, God, this is the US. I was expecting, hello, sir, how can I help you? And kind of, have you thought about this? Nothing. Anyway, eventually I found one, and I just wanted to get out of that store really, really quickly. And then the store manager was having an on the shop floor, just bollocking this other member of staff, like being really horrible to them. And I was like, there was like kind of a little bit of a toxic atmosphere. And I bought this one T-shirt and got out of there as quickly as possible because it was really, really uncomfortable as a customer being uncomfortable. And then I walked through the mall and found the other T-shirt shop that I was looking for. Couldn't have been more different oh, stranger things. Yeah, we've got this whole rack here. You've got to check out this. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And then the the manager said, oh, you're not from round here. I was like, was the English accent a giveaway? And she said, well, it was. And um, thank you very much for visiting us. We're collecting, would you like to round up your bill? It will cost you an extra five cents. And that money goes to a local marching band where my children go to school. And it was like, she gave a damn about her store. She gave a damn about the community. She gave a damn about her customers. And yeah, she got the five cents towards the marching band in store. The difference was I spent $15 in one store. I spent $100 in the other. Yet the product mix and assortment was pretty similar. For me, passion is really important. It's not just customer service. It's passion. And And yes, you need to recruit the right people, but it also comes from the top down. It's really, really important. So I, I, I love that as a concept and you're spot on with, yeah. you need to recruit people that give a damn.
0: Exactly. Not yeah. easy. And have a shared vision. I think, and you touched on that there, that culture vision of that store owner is a community-based one where they're, yeah. you know, supporting the community on what you touched on there, that they're, they have this, you know, this initiative set up in the store where they're giving back in that way. Um that's kind of part and parcel of that, I suppose, that culture in the business that whoever's coming yeah. in understands that. Um, and it's, it's an important value to them, I suppose, in a way, and that they align to that. Um, I suppose... It was,
1: to, yeah. Go on. I was just going to say what was really interesting
0: mm.
1: was the difference between the two stores. Because fundamentally, they sold the same thing. They sold T-shirts with prints on. Mm. That was it. One had like kind of bands and, and kind of popular culture. But it was also kind of not just the atmosphere by the by the passion that was in one and not the other, but it was also kind of the final point that we're going to talk about, which is presentation and the first store was silent. The second store where I spent more money and had music going on, the staff was smiling, but it kind of felt genuine and for me, as an independent retailer or as retailers presentation is something where you can do loads of cool stuff and it's kind of like the final part of the piece but for me I really like the idea of doing a multi-sensory approach so I think if you're going into the store we we often talk about experience and I think presentation really helps with that and a really good example is the idea of smell and people are like really and I'm how often when you go into a supermarket, you get that wonderful smell of bread. And the classic example is Subway. Every Subway you walk past, anywhere in the world has that same smell because they're pumping out the air conditioning by the door. And you walk past it, you kind of inhale that smell. It's like, oh, yeah, Subway. Um, but I think it's really interesting because we can create this kind of multi-dimensional experience of people without having to spend huge, huge amounts of money so obviously if you are a food store, what are the smells that you can release that are really positive? Is it confectionery? I mean, who doesn't love the smell of fudge? Is it the smell of fresh bread? But also is it, if you're doing cosmetics, you know, Lush, the retailer, I think is fantastic because they're always putting different smells near the door that change when you go in there. You know, cosmetics is a great place you can do do that. But also there's certain fashion stores that will light a candle and. It's really, really it creates a really, really nice ambience. So smell, I think, how can you make your store smell in a really positive way that, again, starts to build up a positive thoughts to the consumer. But then that then goes into hearing. So the first store that's selling all this popular culture, there's no music on. You're selling T-shirts with guns and roses on. You're selling T-shirts with marble characters on. Put some music on. And, and again, I think there's something about music that, you know, the right store, you know the music that works for your customers. A garden centre is going to have a very different type of music going on to kind of an up, upmarket boutique. But also silence can work. Silence can work in some stores. But also you can kind of have a training or a demo area, which creates a bit of noise and creates a bit of an atmosphere. And how great is it when you go into a a cosmetic store and somebody's doing a demonstration of how to use a new product and there's like a little bit of a crowd that kind of builds up around them and there's that little murmur of chatter. And all of a sudden you're creating this experience. And, you know, we talked about last week about taste, about sampling. And, you know, we talked about Hotel Chocolat giving away products when you go in store. But if you're an independent you can do that as well. You can give everybody that comes into the store, oh, you've got to try this fresh bread. And do you know what goes really nice with it? Here's this olive oil dip and you train your staff and you can create this really nice experience. But again, you don't just have to be a, a food store to do this. There's certain upscale boutiques that we've got to offer all their. There's a bowl of mint. help yourself. And I think all of a sudden you've got smell, hearing, taste. And that's before we move on to sight. And I think this is the bit where, you know, as a retailer, you can get really excited. How do you get the look and feel of the store to inspire people? And what are the stores that kind of you go into and you go, wow, that looks fantastic. And for me, this is kind of your in-store marketing here. This is your point of sale, your hanging banners, your barkers, the silent salespeople. You know, you can't be everywhere in your store all at once. How's your pricing? How is it done? How's the look and feel? And I think there's some really great ideas around doing displays. I know we talked about window displays last week. Window displays are a great way of saying, we've got some really fantastic stuff in here. Come in, come in. You can make a window display an independent and do something really cool because you're not restricted by brand guidelines. You can create the look and feel for your stores. So make your stores simple to navigate, but also interesting, ex- inspiring, exciting. But also, are there an opportunity for suppliers to help you? And I love the idea of war bays and kind of point of sale. And, and the classic is Coca-Cola will give you a Coke fridge if you stock Coke products in there. I'm sure. Have you ever seen the JML videos in store where they put a screen up? where they demonstrate a product, and it's like some magic duster. Have you ever seen those?
0: Yeah, so I worked for a DIY brand, Woody's, which would be kind of similar to B&Q, and they would have... um, The
1: JML and
0: The rail end, yeah, at the end of that kind of, that wall bay, they would have the JML as a, again, as a talking point, because if you you have, like, a large DIY store, that particular store had 50,000 products. So how do you... 50,000 products... And you have a limited amount of team on the floor, how is your display explaining how this magic mop works? You know what I mean? Or how this dustpan is the best dustpan ever, you know. So it it does work really well, those television screens um in 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 DIY and obviously in 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 home stores as well. You know, it could be a room. You see a lot of kind of DIY stores now, they've gone from a very much a you know, they've room displays now, whereas they used yeah. to be set up like a builder's merchant now they're more commercialized i think they're very much commercialized in how they merge inspiring
1: customers isn't it
0: exactly and it's, expo- it's by inspiring them by having a room display they're not just going to buy the paint they're going to buy the mirror on that room display it's increasing your sales twofold because they're going to want everything in that room display to recreate the locks so i think there's a huge um sales opportunity within that in itself um that I think is massive and I think listening to you there and I've worked with brands that are their own brands so they've all their own stocked in the store and it's very easy to do that kind of display thing and I think a lot of people that say to me and I've I've worked with a couple of retailers well we've loads of suppliers and I think what you're touching on there is well how can the suppliers help support me in driving sales in the business So can they give me a TV explaining how this works? Um, Can they invest? And I'll give them more floor space. So we're going to give you a TV. We're going to increase your lines. We're going to trial it for the next month or two. See how that works in the business. If we get extra sales, then we'll come back and revisit that again. So I think it's really um, utilising what we have there already and and asking for that support from them suppliers, yeah.
1: Suppliers need place so we talked about place earlier about how we sell our products if you're a if you're a supplier you need different routes to market and different routes to customers your suppliers want you to succeed and they want you to succeed because if you've got a good relationship it becomes a partnership but they also need to make money but they also need you to make money and i think what's really interesting having worked for a number of large brands they're willing to invest in the retailers that are willing to support them. And by investment, I'm not just talking about, oh, i have some extra margin. I'm talking about the idea of sellout. And sellout can be, how can the suppliers help you sell out what you've bought to your customers? And that can be in the form of posters. It can be in the form of point of sale if you're cosmetics. So the actual, by point of sale, I'm referring to the counter and the displays, and it could be a, a pop-up unit, it could be a shipper, it could be, you know what, we, we will invest in doing a leaflet drop if you can put our products front and centre of it. Or we will go on our social media channels and say, right, this store's got an exclusive um, dress or, or hat that you can only get in this retailer. And I think there is something where suppliers need multiple routes to market. And I think what's really interesting when you ask them to help you with your look and feel and with your retail marketing, I think you'll be surprised because lots of them will get behind you and support you. And I think it's interesting. We talked about shop in and shop and, and, you know, whether that's the kind of gap stores in Next or whether it's a Clinique counter in a, a department store. You know, that's almost the ultimate kind of support from a brand. But brands need you. The brands that that you stock need your business to succeed. And I think if you're constantly asking them for a discount on the price, there's only so much they can do because they have a business to run as well. But if you ask them for marketing support, okay, how can you support us to sell out your products? You're going to get an additional response that I think is really, really exciting. So we talked about the look and feel of the store and that multi-sensory experience. That's wonderful. And, you know, that will work for some people. The idea of going to your suppliers and getting that additional investment of support from a marketing perspective is something that everybody should be looking at, because I think it's a really, really great opportunity.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. And I think some some smaller retailers, what they do is they might have a couple of suppliers that sell pottery or artwork. And what they would do is every month they would have a meet the makers they bring that particular artist particular craftsperson into the store they would run you know they have it all over their windows come at the end of the month and they actually are in that store at the end of the month making pottery Um, and the customers come and they experience that and obviously the supplier gets the exposure and they highlight the products and um, The authenticity, they get to know that particular supplier on a personal level. And also what's really important about that, I think, is that they get feedback. So I know a couple of suppliers that done that in stores and they got feedback on partic- particular products that they were going to actually um, create a range on. So they asked those people that was shopping in that particular area of the store, their products, what feedback they had. And they got really great insights on that shop floor from real buyers, some of them were regular shoppers, some of them had just i suppose stumbled across the brand, but they got really interesting feedback on their on the way their pricing was on their signage so again, we can use this as well to get that really great feedback in real time from customers that are actually coming onto the store mat and and seeing how that works. yeah,
1: no, I agree and um- It was really interesting. I know one of the world barbecue champions and she is a brand ambassador for Traeger who make barbecues. They flew her from Florida to do um, barbecue demonstrations all across the UK in different garden centres, talking about the the Traeger brand, showing you how to use the barbecue, how to, to use the different features. And you've got the kind of, All of these brands will have people that will be able to help you sell out your product. They bought over the barbecue world champion to go into, I think it must have been half a dozen major retailers, independent retailers of, of, of Traeger barbecues, and got them to talk about to their customers about the product. And then you're absolutely right, you'll get the feedback as well. But it's fantastic for sales. And and I think it's worth remembering that there's, there's normally a different marketing part. There's trade marketing and then there's the marketing spend that a brand will have. The marketing, the trade marketing part is the one where I think it's really interesting because that's where you can get people in store to do demonstrations. That's where you can get the fridges, the TVs, the point of sale, the support to do your leaflets or your local advertising. But if you don't ask for it, you will not get it. And I think it's just a different approach that you know as part of the marketing mix where it all comes together, suppliers need you to succeed and work with them
0: yeah, so we're coming here to the end, just to recap, I suppose we've touched on products, price, place, promotion, and um, personnel so people in your business. we're going to delve more into that next week, passion and presentation and um, and we've covered so many different aspects of that Richard we had a slightly longer episode today but it was really really interesting and and um, there's lots there for people to um I suppose to take on board next week we're going to be talking about inspiring customers and staff is not for life um is um it's not just for Christmas or is for life not just for Christmas and that's something I'm really excited about because you touched on it there around personnel and I think that's a big, big one, I think, for retailers that are struggling to maybe recruit or hire. How can we inspire them or how can we attract? How can we motivate? There's loads in there that we can touch on, Richard. Richard, people can find you on LinkedIn. At That's Richard's correct. Liverman, yeah.
1: That's right. Richard Liverman is the easiest way to find me on LinkedIn. I have a mentoring and Um, business practice called Richard Solutions, which is also easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, Please feel free to connect and have a conversation.
0: Thanks so much, Richard. And I look forward to talking to you on our next episode. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. It's been a fantastic episode. Thanks so much, Richard, for coming.